and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy X-2 episode of Normandy FM. We are here. We're sphere hunters. We're on the search for more Titus spheres. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am Eric Van Allen, as always, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm vibing. We're, this is going to be a more low-key episode, I think. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here in Final Fantasy X-2 land. The, the best Final Fantasy land, as some oh, of us might call it. Pulling those guns out already, huh? I was I was on, I, I don't know what we want to call it, companion show, friend friend show, I don't know, Acts of the Blood God, and, and one cat, Bailey, said that Ten Two is the better of the Ten series. Mm. Uh, a take I did not know she had. So, Intellectual wisdom. Yeah. Coming from Cat Bailey, I was I was I was shocked. Let me tell you, that's that that was a take. I don't know if I agree with that take, but uh, th- that was a take. Uh, I'm I'm having an interesting time with Ten Two, Ken. Mm-hmm. I love this game. Mm-hmm. I really do. I love the vibe. I love the feel of it. Uh, I love the style. Uh, I, I tweeted about this the other day, but I love that. It can, in the same moment, be this campy uh, road trip romp. It almost feels like the sort of vibe that you wish Final Fantasy XV would have had mm-hmm. as well. Like, obviously, there is like the, oh, this is the girls' version of the boys' right. road trip and yada. But I feel like that, where the parts where 15's road trip feel really came across come across here and sometimes even better with these with these three uh, mm-hmm. and the way they that they kind of travel around and revisit all these people is, is really nice uh but it can do all the campiness all the fun and then still have some heavy hitting moments some some moments of uh emotion or or just little asides i found that the unit narration is surprisingly good in some places mm-hmm. really just like catching you off guard every once in a while and in really nice ways this game is also exhausting, Ken. I just really? got to be honest with you. <laughs> it That's is interesting take. Okay. I, I, I know, I know in my heart of hearts that at least 33% of the exhaustion is coming from the fact that we just put, you know, for me, 80 to 90 some odd hours into final fantasy 10. Uh, and so retracing a lot of those steps, especially without, you know, the conveniences that you had by the end of the game, being able to flip on no encounter, being able to ride around on chocobos, all that sort of stuff. Definitely kind of feel it. This is a, I mean, this is an open world game before open world games existed. Right. Mm. And it, it comes with some of the baggage there too, in terms of the, the, the way we have broken this episode and the next episode up is that we are broadly covering the first chapter of the game. That being said, if you want to go for a high completion percentage of this game, you can't just do the hot spots. You have to go to other places and find out that there are things there. And there's a lot of stuff that I remember, even when I played this the first time, I, I never stumbled across any of it. I mean, I think I talked to Kimari at one point. I definitely remember doing the first thing we did here uh, that we'll talk about, which is the the section in Luca. But I also don't think I really ever went to Guado Salam outside of storyline reasons. Mm. And uh, 
it's I, I'm now realizing the reason I was able to beat basically what I thought was uh, half of this game in a weekend back when I first played this game uh, was because I was just mainlining it. Mm. And part of me is feeling rewarded by taking the time to go and really see the breadth of what has been built here. But then the other part of me is being mildly exhausted by the ways in which this game feels contorted into something else out of another work, if that makes sense. I think there are a lot of either modern conveniences or just little things that could make this game experience feel smoother that we have just learned in the years since. Hmm. Uh, and so this is me saying that I love this game, but also I'm seeing this game's age right now. That's interesting that you say that. Cause like I, I, oh, you know, playing through this and I'm, I'll played a little bit ahead of what we're going to talk about this week. The game feels incredibly breezy to me in a way that 10 didn't even really necessarily. And I think like a lot of the time that you spend in each location in 10 is like much shorter than you ever spend it in 10. And I think that makes, I mean, like it, it is a game that has like a sort of an episodic feel to it in each section. Like you are spending, you know, a little bit of time in every place that you go to kind of build upon something that it's like game long. And, you know, maybe it's just the nature of how we're, we've structured this season, but I don't like, I don't really feel like I've ever needed those uh, sort of conveniences that you said of like, uh, you know, even even things that the game is going to have later, like, you know, riding a chocobo or things like that. Because, like, you know, you've got basically fast travel here with the, the Celsius, so getting to and from places is not a very long process. And each time you, like, you know, where you land each time that you go to one of these places is usually, like, right around what you're there to do. And mm. you kind of don't spend a lot of time in, like, a lot of dead space just, like, kind of walking through. And... I don't know. Like I, I see. I don't think the game is sort of like plotting at all. I've actually been really enjoying, you know, spending just a little bit of time in every place that you can go and just, you know, doing a little bit, bit here and then going off to do something else and like being able to, kind of like freely come in and out of these plots as they're going on and know that you'll pick them back up later. I think one of the major things that bothers me is something that you just hit on and something that I disagree with. Um, the Celsius doesn't always put you in the prime location for where you need to be for a lot of these scenes to trigger like certain mm -hmm. I had one that was like I needed to trigger it by entering I think it was the calm lands I had to enter it from an actual other section of the world to trigger a certain cutscene happening that would explain the, like races and stuff that were happening there um, there's there's a lot of cases of these maps are still big expanses that were originally meant to kind of be traveled across in that sort of pilgrimage feel like the calm lands or like Makalani woods is another example. And you end up running around them a lot. And instead of like just uh, either shortening that up or letting you choose certain options to land at certain spheres or things like that, you kind of always go to the same place. And, and there are some shortcuts that you can use. Obviously Makalania has like the, the staircase to heaven or whatever that just takes you to the end of Makalania woods. But I, I, I overall found that maybe it's the nature of a lot of the things that we're doing right now is just going to a place so we can see a scene, talk to a person and then leave that it feels like a lot of what we're doing is, is showing that it's been crafted onto 
worlds that were built with one game design in mind, like one idea in mind mm. for how the adventure was going to take place. And now we're having to do other things in the context of that. I think the, the breaking point for me was the, uh, uh, the one we do in mushroom rock road, uh, where I ran all the way to the end of it and got to the elevator. Thankfully did not take the elevator or lift or whatever the, the giant rising rock and realized I needed to turn back around and go down where LeBlanc's men had gone. And so I ran all the way back and went down there and did that stuff and then came back up and then ran all the way back. And I was just kind of thinking the whole time, cause that whole, the whole idea of that section is it's overrun with fiends. So there's, you're constantly getting into like battles in that area. And then there was a whole section where in, in hindsight, I'm not sure why I did this, but I ran across the me and high road just to run across the me and high road. Um, and I was just kind of feeling it again that I was, I was, maybe it's because we're visiting these places in a way that feels apart from the way we originally experienced them. And in, in Final Fantasy X, there was always a feeling of moving forward, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like you are kind of always chasing the horizon. And in 10-2, you're kind of now moving around in these spaces where you're not always following that same North Star, but these places are designed very much to be explored in that way or at least they you know their original intent was for you to proceed through them in a certain way and i think i'm just kind of noticing that and adjusting to that um that's like that's like one aspect of the modern convenience stuff the the other thing is it's taking the battles i'm i'm much more used to the battle system now than i was previously it still feels like every time a battle starts i just have to practically pause and immediately just start thinking about what I want to do <laughs> because hmm. if I try to do it in real time the enemy will just start like tearing into me and I'll have no response <laughs> so I'll have to like kind of look at what the enemy makeup is and there are times when I've just ran from fights not because I didn't want to fight them or didn't think I could beat them but because I would have to do too many dress fear changes to like get to the party composition that I wanted Mm. And I think the dress fear system is also a place where I'm really respecting how thoughtful and interesting the the design of that system is while also going, okay, is there a fast mode for these cutscenes? <laughs> well, there is, but... There is? Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I um, will find that setting somewhere. <laughs> so my my initial question to, the, to that is, like you saying that you like, pause and consider things, like, do you have, in the way that, like, in 10, like, the original 10, you would have, like, say, your frontline characters of, like, Titus, Aron, Yuna, and that was generally, like, a, that was who it was for me initially, and then Riku kind of came to the mix later. Do you have, like, a set of dress fears that you lead a fight with? Just... Like as I, I have now, and I've started kind of trying to construct what that looks like. Like Pain has pretty much been a warrior the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like just, I I think I have. No, actually, no, I have never shifted her dress fear. She has been a warrior the whole time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yuna, I gave her the Vanguard one, I believe. It's the diamond shaped one where I. So I will say, the one of the things I love about this game and the system is the the garment grid and the way it has those gates that you can pass through Mm -hmm. and it kind of encourages you to think about progression in classes and wanting to clear quote unquote certain gates to gain 
boons in in battle i think that's a really cool concept mm. uh and they they were clearly thinking about interesting ways to use that system too because we'll get some garment grids that we'll talk about here that start to pose interesting ideas to you in terms of what you're trying to achieve with your garment grid rather than just having a selection of classes available right. because it's, it's not just oh well i want the one that's going to have all the the dress spheres available because i want to have them all available no in some you might only want a couple and they they right. do things to encourage you to play in certain ways uh i think all of that's really really cool uh that being said like so pain has pretty much stayed on warrior the whole time like her warrior kit is just too good it does too much damage it it's got mm. elemental attacks too so it's really useful that way um there's it's basically like the best of waka and lulu and Orin all in a single class so mm. it's really hard to not have her in that uh with yuna and riku i've gotten a little bit more experimental yuna's uh i have her on like the vanguard thing and she starts in gunner but she can either go into one track that has uh black mage on it and and kind of go into and festivalist as well uh mm. kind of a more magic damage side or i can take her into songstress when i need those those buffs mm. uh, which has not been as frequently uh as it was in the first opening hours uh and then riku is the one that probably switches around the most i yep. used her in I think thief black mage and warrior the most okay uh i had her in warrior for a long time i was basically running like a dual warrior setup and then uh she was my, my go-to black mage for a while as well she's already learned like tier two magic mm. off of it so uh honestly i tried her gunner as well but i don't think her gunner mode was very useful compared to yuna's yeah so. but time that You'd probably learn more by that point. Yeah. 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 My general go-to, and we haven't talked about, like, some of the dress phase that we get in this chapter, but, like, I, I do kind of, like, start with, like, a baseline, like, Yuna's on Gunner, Pain is on Warrior, and Rika's on White Mage. And mm -hmm. depending on the fight, like, if I need, like, if I don't find that I don't need that much healing, I'll just switch Riku over to, like, back to Thief or something, or Festivalist. Um, and Yuna, I keep on Gunner, and she'll flex into Songstress when I need it. Um... Pain, for me as well, has usually been just Warrior, but I did, like, there There was a playthrough that I did when, you know, back in the day, where I tried to get through the game, for some reason, priding myself on putting the characters in, like, the quote-unquote weaker dress spheres that weren't necessarily meant to be, like, a game-carrying thing. So I had, so, like, I associate Pain with the, the gun mage dress sphere, which we'll get later, and so, like, I have that on her, her garment grid, kind of almost as, like, an homage to that time more than anything that I actually find it necessarily useful for, except for that she has scan on that. So, like, I think it is, like, like you're saying, like, you, you kind of pause and stop and think about what you need to do. Like, I think you just kind of, like, eventually find, like, one, you'll find, like, a rhythm of just, like, you'll, without having to, like, immediately, like, think about everything that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. You just kind of, like, instinctively, muscle memory, know how to do things. But I think, like, once you find that first, like, frontline dress reformation and flex as needed as opposed to flex like expecting to flex you know when the match starts i think you'll just be more comfortable with the system is in my experience at least yeah and and we can start talking about the actual like plot of the game now but it's it, it is a to be clear i am enjoying this game it's just i think we're also because of the nature of this show and what we're trying to accomplish we're 
seeing a lot of this game in what feels like piecemeal at the moment. And so it's hard mm. for me to kind of feel like I'm getting a comprehensive idea of what's going on. Um, I mean, the game is an adjustment. Like, that is something, yeah. and like, that's kind of like my takeaway from what you're saying is that, like, it is a far and away bigger adjustment than I, I think, like, the, the naming convention implies. Because, like, you, when you get a numbered Final Fantasy sequel, you expect it to be more of the same, I guess. And, like, you know, there are those underlying philosophies that we've talked about where, like, you know, the idea of, like, flexing your party in real time to adjust to whatever situation's going on is still, like, an undercurrent to the game, but it is, like, you know, all the systems have been completely revamped, and it is definitely different. I think, like, that kind of apl- applies to, like, navigating the world again, too, because, like, you... Ha- you have you, you played through ten one with you know these certain expectations of how this all was going to be formatted, and then you're dropped into a place that like it's completely restructured in that way. Yeah. In terms and of how you're supposed to engage with the world. The completion stuff is just wild again to me. Like the the fact that this game has the requirements that it does and sets certain bars in certain places, and even just you know there's things that we do in this playthrough, like just going. We, we stop at Mount Gagazette just to talk to some people and then mm-hmm. leave. And well, we, we walk into Guado Salam just so a cutscene plays and then leave. And mm-hmm. it feels almost like not jarring, but it, it, it is the most video gamey feeling of mm-hmm. I'm just here to, to check a box and then leave and go back to a different thing uh, that it is really strange. I think when it, when it does work out well is when it kind of builds these beats up over time. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to see as we get further into the game. Right. Uh, Because essentially, so again, to go over the structure of these next two episodes, we're doing all the non hotspot stuff today. So all of what you'd either consider side quests or just activities, whatever you want to call it, like missions that are not plot critical, Mm. uh, we took care of for this episode and then the next episode will be Besaid, Xanarkand, and Kilika, which are the main plot islands that you have to complete to move forward uh, in the chapter. And that's kind of the structure we're looking at for the re- the whole season, uh, barring some obvious shifts in, in the narrative and all that. But it, it does create this weird feeling of like I said, we just show up to do a thing. I think we do start off strong here with going to Luca, and we get this opportunity to sort of see how Yuna's first hour of the game played out. While Riku and Payne were off doing their own thing, pulling off the heist, chasing after the imposter, Yuna was up to some other stuff. And while it's not... It's, it's really weird. It's not the most typical mission, but then again... Most of the side missions in this game really aren't, you know, take down target right. or things like that. It's it's more like obviously here it's Yuna accidentally ends up working a part time job <laughs> as a Moogle mascot for her own imposters concert, which is really fun. It's it's yeah. a cool little side thing that they, they just put in here. And I think it works super well, both because this kind of like informs it and feels like the place where they're like, now when they go back later to play it, they'll look for Yuna and that's where they'll get a hundred percent because we're evil. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it, it was also interesting to just kind of see Yuna 
rolling with the punches right. a little bit and, and like having fun. And I, I love the part how it ends where she's talking about, you know, this is my life. Now we just travel from place to place and the days just fly by. It's, it's mm-hmm. just completely different from the doomer Yuna that we had in final fantasy 10, where she is constantly like, yep, gonna die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that's something that is, like, the more I think I'm, like, you talk, you, I guess comparing it to, like, an open world game of now as opposed to what it right. was 20 years ago. Like, there's something that I do respect about it is that, like, yeah, you are, like, you're traveling through this world and, you know, seeing all these uh, things going on, but every instance in each place still feels, like, more crafted than anything of, like, the modern, you know, open world structure that is, okay, fetch quest just because, like, we have made this giant place and you have to walk around, you have to see everything, and, you know, these collectathons and all this other bullshit that a lot of uh, modern open-world RPG people make. Um, so, like, I, I think I appreciate that Tentu is at least, like, focused in enough on what it wants to do in each space, and it's not, like... And, and we'll get to it later. Like, we're going to go to some places where nothing happens for a chapter. And, so, like, where modern open-world RPGs are kind of like, oh, you know, we we made these things, go look at all of them, and where a lot of Tin 2 will have just, like, long stretches of time where just because this place exists does not mean that you have to travel through it. Like, we haven't put anything for, there for you. Like, if you want to, for your own, you know, experience, mm-hmm. just, like, travel through something to grind or whatever it is, it's there, but, like, Tin 2 is not insistent upon, like, just, like, existing in the world just because it does exist, and I think that is why a lot of the side content like you said it's very different from you know what is like i guess the more common action of the game but it all feels crafted and cared for in a way like i was and this is something in chapter two like there's a whole fucking mini game that you play in besaid that is like a shooting range that you just walk through besaid and like that's unlike anything that was in 10 1 and it's certainly unlike anything else that's in 10 2 and it's like that variety kind of never lets up and i think that's something that makes a lot of the traveling around spira even if it's aimlessly, like, worth doing, just because it's, like, you're always finding something that is new and different and unlike anything you've experienced yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is it is nice, because, like, the next area we go to is me and High Road, and that one I just purely ran, ran across to do grinding and mm-hmm. to just, like, talk to people, because uh, I was kind of hoping I would get free stuff from them again. I did not, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a really different vibe and it was also interesting to run across me and high road because people will when you stop and talk to them they'll be like wait you're actually stopping and talking to people on the high road nobody Mm. does that anymore we all use the hovers because they're just hovercraft that can take you across the place now and remember when that was originally you know the high road on which people fled from sin as you know it's in the beginning intro when you first get there and now it's just this kind of almost annoyance they're like uh walking mm. on the highway right. like, yeah uh it's it's a cool moment where you get to really see how the world has changed especially with the adoption of machina which feels like a big beat early on is everyone is using machina now mm-hmm. in some way uh and the ways in which they do that are very interesting and and cool to see uh that is like a highlight of the first chapter, I think. And what really like kept me going through it was seeing how all the different sort of groups within Spira have responded to the eternal calm mm-hmm. and the idea of like, what did they do now? And obviously the events of final fantasy 10, because there were a lot of things that happened that were pretty broad reaching and we get to actually, you know, 
rather than just move on from that game, we get to see how those events affected people and how they have affected people in the years since. So, mm-hmm. um, anyways, after me and we go to Mushroom Rock Road, the place I formerly talked about, <laughs> uh, and we see Logos and Ormi, the the two hench dudes for LeBlanc. They appear to be on the hunt. So, as Riku says, let's do some following of our own. <laughs> <laughs> And we run into Yival. Good old Yival. Mm. <laughs> did you did you say you remembered him? Yeah, I mean kinda did. So I, I I remembered him and I said it for this one, but the other character in this section I said I did not remember because I genuinely did not recognize mm. this character. <laughs> like they, they do that a lot in this game. It's cause like they, they ask Yuna if she remembers them, which is like both like that kind of makes sense in the story because like Yuna met a lot of people. She was a, she was a big fucking deal as she was going through Spiros. So, like it makes sense that like somebody that was just you know passing by and at that point would be like, hey, do you remember me? You like a lot happened and it's been a while. But it also like gives the player the option to be like, hey, no, I need a refresh on who this person is because they might not have you know played or considered Final Fantasy X in the years between the two. Right. I can't imagine playing this game without playing Final Fantasy X. That's that bizarre. Mm-hmm. But um, Yibel is here because the Youth League is hanging out. They got uh, the Youth League headquarters is here at the site of Operation Mian, which is kind of strange when you think about it. But I guess since they are a former Crusaders organization, as we learned, they're kind of what the Crusaders turned into. Uh, and also, I just kind of like the idea that the Crusaders are now like like the thing that came from the crusaders and the thing that came from Yevon are mm-hmm. now at odds with each other right which is cool cuz like the crusaders were originally like the literal crusaders like they were the fighters of Yevon's war they were like the citizen militia of Yevon uh and then you have to imagine after operation Mian and the revelations that came about a lot of them probably felt very cheated mm-hmm. and betrayed uh, and the Crusaders were also, by nature, a very young force. Mm-hmm. A lot of, because they all died all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot of turnover in the Crusaders. Uh, it's a, it, it's cool. I liked this part. There's there's a part coming up here, too, that I really, really liked. It. We'll get into but um The Yibel says the Youth League is doing some sphere hunting of its own. And Clasco's here. Remember Clasco, one of our Chocobo knights? Well, Chocobo farmer, I suppose, if you made the right choice in Final Fantasy X. Mm. Uh, although they just kind of, I guess, wiped that off the board. And yeah, say, th- there nah, are some something else now. There are some like things that they did in terms of like the, the weird choices you could make in Ten that didn't like kind of seemed at odds with how the majority of that game was kind of built. Uh, they do a lot to kind of just work around them and like not. Mm have to touch on what the player might have said or done right which is you know it's a possible thing that other, another franchise should think hard about as it moves into the future that you can just write around things without having to undo them <laughs> who can say who could say <laughs> what game i could say? be talking about <laughs> five whole easter eggs I, I looked at that fucking poster i don't know where five is coming from that's all i gotta <laughs> say <laughs> i see one big one that's all i got uh anyways we can never take the mass effect out of this podcast uh the 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 youth league says that the the area that we're about to head into between the main kind of mushroom rock road and 
the headquarters of where they're at has been overrun with fiends. That's also where Logos and Orbi went. So we've got to go take care of that, you know, basically just run through the area and murder fiends while also doing what we need to do. Uh, which is kind of weird because they do this thing where there's like a purple haze effect on your screen. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't wild about that. Uh, I don't know. This was also the one where I wiped once because I was trying to remember how to escape from battle against a Tonberry. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> I just was not finding it. And he just stabbed me to death. Over wow. and over again. Yeah. Uh, it was very fun. But aside from the Tonberries, you know, it was not hard to beat most of the monsters in this area. I feel like mm. there were only a couple areas where the monsters get really, really tough in the section. It, it's kind of bizarre that we go to places like the Calm Lands, which were, you know, late game areas slash grinding areas uh, in Final Fantasy X. And I'm like beating a, a coral with you know, level 10 characters. It's, mm. it's bizarre at times. Yeah. They, they do a thing where they, because of the open nature of the game, when you can just go anywhere, they do at least kind of like signpost that because like each place has a difficulty number or like ranking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like one through five. And I think even the way that they position the, the plot stuff, is like Besaid is like fairly easy, but Xanarkand is like fairly difficult. So they're like, hey, you can go to Besaid whenever, but maybe do some other stuff before you go, go to Xanarkand and like before you progress the plot because things will get progressively more difficult feels like there's a very fast power ramp in this game mm. where obviously to level up the dress spheres you have to use them in battle so there is like there's reason to want to spend time playing as the characters that you want to get stronger and characters will just naturally get stronger the longer they do things so i like that part of it you know without the sphere grid here and you're already kind of overwhelmed if mm. your name is eric <laughs> by the amount of options available with grass uh, 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 <laughs> with the amount of options available with uh, dress spheres and garment grids so i i appreciate that aspect of it but it also feels like eventually at some point in this game i'm going to have to spend a lot of time just grinding certain dress spheres to get them up to higher levels you know mm. so i have so maybe two people with higher level black magic instead of one so have you been um going into like the skill menu for each sphere where you can pick what abilities you want them to start training towards did not know that existed yeah because like i i remember uh a long time ago like when i first was playing the game the the gunner just for the iaduna on would automatically default to like level two trigger happy which is mm-hmm. like which which takes more uh, levels to get leveled up than I think anything else on that dress sphere. So what I had to always had to do was go back and like manually put which thing I wanted to be training for next, and that that does offer some like level of uh, freedom in terms of how these characters level up, and I think it's just kind of something you gotta be cognizant of because like it will if you don't like go in and start picking for yourself what you want them to start learning. You'll, you'll, you know, go several battles without actually learning anything new because it will just kind of like naturally default to something that will take longer than anything else. I've already learned Demi Blade and I was sitting there like, why did it give me Demi this early in the mm. game? Nobody has high enough HP to justify using Demi this early mm-hmm. in the game. <laughs> and so this suddenly makes a whole lot more sense now. <laughs> uh, this is a good tip. See, this is what this is what we're here for. This is actually Eric gets advice on ten two hour. <laughs> uh, 
so we we head on down into a little cave area following after logos and ormy by the way the holding down circle tip was was a godsend there you go Another by the time that we by the time we get a couple of more episodes in you'll you'll be a master it'll be fine oh uh, yeah yeah master spear hunter uh we sneak up on them and they just freak out and then somehow escape by us in a dead end of a room with a flashbang grenade using one of riku's time-tested tactics against her <laughs> uh, like, how did i not see this coming yeah yeah my hubris <laughs> <laughs> um and they leave behind crimson sphere number nine something that we're going to be collecting throughout the game and that we can later watch uh on spira's little uh spira uh shinra shinra right yeah little shinra. kid shinra mm-hmm. yeah um that's not going to get confusing at all. I know, right? <laughs> On Shinra's monitor. Don't you uh, love how Final Fantasy just reuses terms? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't mind that they named a kid after the evil organization from Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. I mean, it's a little weird, but it's not that weird. The The weirdness comes with the fact that the world is called Spira, and he's called Shinra, and that's just, like, too close phonetically. So I really think they should have just called him Tim, but mm. I, you know that's just my take. You know, Timothy, Timothy, the treasure sphere guy, would have worked. Uh, we can watch that Crimson Sphere, and those will be important key items uh, that we pick up throughout the game. For what I actually don't know, I'm excited to find out. So uh, all I know is I watched that sphere and was like, uh, that was kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, seems like logos and ormy are into some weird shit let's say (laughs) and yeah i don't know where let's follow the weirdness up with someone showing up who i did not remember because i think he looks completely different from Final fantasy 10 i don't remember marota looking like that uh okay i i'm just saying marota looks different (laughs) something the way he talks too, something has clearly happened to Marota. Something, something happened because you keep asking him about Isaru, and he's just like, "Yeah, so this is a cool place, isn't it?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." Where's your brother? I had breakfast this morning. Would you like to hear about my <laughs> breakfast? <laughs> um, so we'll we'll learn. About I, d- I was about to make a joke that would reference something that we're not going to get to this week. Oh. I was just gonna be like, don't don't look at the man behind the curtain, just like. Oh, I was I was gonna start going into a we don't talk about Bruno, but we that, that also works. Isaru. That also yeah. works. Uh, did you, did you see that movie? Yeah, Encanto. I, yeah. I liked it. It was a good time. Yeah, I was on a, I was on another podcast recently, and and uh, somebody was talking about that movie, and they were like, oh, it's just such a fun time, and I was like. It's fun if you don't have familial trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I imagine if, you know, for, for folks who have a lot of family stuff to work through, that, that probably hit. For me, I was like, it was a good movie. I, I'd put it in the upper echelon of recent Disney stuff. Maybe not the heights of Moana for me, but, mm. but it was a good time. I enjoyed I see, it. I, I, I like the movie a lot. I, just, I, don't, I don't care for Lynn manuel Miranda's music broadly. So yeah. I didn't really love a lot of the music in that movie, with the exception of Bruno. Uh, I thought the Louisa song was good too. I that one like took some time, but it got there eventually. I feel like all the songs in that movie took time for me to come around on them, and mm. were not like instant, you know, stuck in my head songs the way that other stuff has been. Mm. But 
they're, they're the like visually they're though in... like the the, the, the oh, co- visually the freaking the choreography gorgeous. and also just like the uh sort of like the music videos for lack of a better like way of explaining it like that they made yeah. for each yeah. individual song very good uh like i cannot remember a single lick of the song that she sings with the the older sister the like the flower one mm-hmm. but visually oh my god one of mm-hmm. the best scenes in the movie incredible yeah. That anyway, was Kanto Power Hour. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> we, we did not pivot to Disney. Uh, not yet, anyway. <laughs> Look forward to next season. Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh God, no! The Kingdom Hearts level for that game would be so wild. Um. Anyways, no, we're not doing Kingdom Hearts. Uh. Marota is acting weird. Tells us that this place is called the Den of Woe. And then it's like off limits. So that's not weird at all. Uh, it also tells us that his younger brother, Pache, is part of a sphere hunter group too. He's like, oh, I heard you're sphere hunters. My brother's a sphere hunter too. And you're like, what's up? Well, yeah, what's, what are they called? The Kindergartians. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes me wonder what, what they called that in Japanese. I, I would love to know because I want to know if it's a similar play on words, but it's also like that. Um, we call ourselves this so you can't call us it behind our backs. Like <laughs> we, we're gonna call ourselves the Kindergartens. <laughs> That's right. We know we're young. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and then on the way back, you know. So you can probably inform me a little bit more about this. You mentioned Oversoul here. I've ran into it a, f- a few times as well. What is Oversoul? Uh, it basically like themes that you come across multiple times like when they like okay you fight a certain type of fiend multiple times in one area mm-hmm. and then eventually like you know the fifth or tenth or whatever it is uh one that you find in that area will become oversoul which will get, just make them stronger have more hp um and they can have uh better drops at, at the end of the fight uh, okay. um so yeah it's kind of like shiny grinding in pokemon a little bit gotcha yeah that makes sense okay uh, we head up to the, the magic rock elevator and take it up and we see Elma and also Elma tells us that Lucille is hanging out at the base up higher too. So all the Chocobo Knights came over to the youth league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elma, I, I like the little bit with Elma here. She like gets to boss some people around right. and you can tell she's like really happy about that. <laughs> yeah. She's in a leadership position. Kind of coming into her room. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. Like nice little time seeing her and then we head up further uh and we we meet up with lucille who is now commander lucille of the youth league and uh also mentions nuge Mm. (laughs) the incredible name for the youth league leader who was a former crusader uh the youth league was kind of formed as a protest to new yevon uh so i I like the youth league conceptually a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting idea. And the part that I was alluding to that I really liked is we see Macon here as well. Mm. And you know, the guy who infamously tells you super long stories in 10. And there's a a scene here where you can literally listen to him tell a really long story about the history of the, the crusaders becoming the youth league and new Yevon and power struggles and stuff like that. And it, it is fascinating, but it's told 
like dreadfully long mm-hmm. <laughs> and it keeps coming up with a pop-up window that's like actually i got other things to do i gotta go like right. please uh i love this section i thought that was great that's mm-hmm. a nice little touch and also it kind of rewards you at the end by having that scene where you can shake his hand at the end and it's almost kind of sad like he's he's pretty much like he shakes your hand he's like oh i shook the hand of someone who has chained spira forever this historian can die comfortably now and can die with grace now and and you know it's like hey no bad mm. no don't what are you doing mm-hmm. um do you okay I, i'm just like remembering things i'm like i don't know how far you really got the first time you put this i don't know if you remember I, some I, things solid like chapter three but even okay. then it was it was back when the game first came out mm-hmm. so been a very long you might as well not have played it <laughs> yeah, yeah okay noted <laughs> may as well have never played this game and retroactively never played Final Fantasy 10 <laughs> that's how much i forgot um yeah it's I like this section a lot, both because it, it lets you really hear how these factions rose up and the reasons why, but also, uh, you know, it's a little, it's a nice little callback. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like the callbacks to those characters that meant so much during the pilgrimage that were right. those constant faces during the pilgrimage and to see them again. And they're also like one recurring theme throughout this section in particular is people being like, Oh, you probably don't remember me because right. they're, you know, it's Yuna. It's it's the summoner that changed Spira mm. forever and all that. And it's it's kind of fun to be able to play Yuna as like, no, you were like someone who was really important mm. in my pilgrimage. Right. Like, of course I remember mm. you. Like, that's fun. I like that. Yeah. The game's sense of continuity is really strong, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's something that is you know, nice, and also, like, for the time, and even now, to some extent, like, a lot of shit, in, like, in video game continuity, it's, like, you know, hand-waved away in, like, audio logs that you find or some shit, but, like, here, like, tend to, like, really takes a lot of time to deal with all of, like, the, the smaller characters a- alongside the, you know, the mainstays and all the original party members as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's what, like, the, the format of the game allows it to do, because, like, it is... Yeah, you have all these different areas that you're going to, and it, they have to kind of be centered around a person, or at least one or two of them. Um, and so, like, it allows people to have, like, a game-long arc, even if they aren't your party, because, like, you're going back to visit them every time. Mm-hmm. For sure. And and it's it builds up a sense of world that, whereas Ten was constructing this idea of the world being shaped in a certain way, of, of being formed into a, a linear path by... Yevon and by Sin and and by you know not just Yevon the 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 organization but you Yevon the the person. Uh, here we get to see just the world as it builds up and we get to learn so much about it from from the ground floor. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned before about like the me and high road and and just getting to see people experimenting with Machina and trying to improve them and find ways that they can make life better and things like that. It's so cool. I, I like that part of this mm. game a lot. Uh, and we also have more of that when we head to the Jose temple uh, first, you can head back to mushroom rock road back at the starting point in Glasgow. will be having a crisis of conscious, you know, he's, he's, he's not liking the youth league. He's trying to figure out what he wants to do and you can have him board your airship if you would like. So I went back and did that. And and Clasco is now just having crises of confidence 
on my airship. Mm. <laughs> Not sure what that does, but the completion guide told me to do it, so <laughs> I did it. Gonna be a few of those. Mm. <laughs> uh, we head off to Jose Temple, and we meet another group, kind of different from Youth League and New Yevon. They, the Machine Faction. Uh, a lot of the... A lot of the temple, temples, obviously, after Sin was defeated, there was no reason for the temples to exist anymore. And the faith, as we're going to learn, have kind of disappeared, let's say. Or, mm-hmm. have, like, they, they're not there anymore, you know? So they were all being neglected. Obviously, they represented this piece of history that now had a very different meaning for a lot of people. Right. And Jose, in particular becomes a new base of sorts for this machine faction and we walk in everybody's like oh my god yuna's here yuna's here there's a lot of like yuna being a celebrity in this Mm -hmm. game which i think is interesting um and then riku and pain kind of having to be like bodyguards (laughs) slash managers which is a fun dynamic uh and then a dude shows up and that's gipple uh the leader of the machine faction and i want to note here this is the first of a new genre of characters that we have in this game that I want to note. And I'm going to call them the, the bond boys of this game. Okay. <laughs> bond movies have bond girls, right? They always uh-huh. like bring in a couple of actresses to be like, here's this hot lady that bond might woo throughout the movie. And here in 10 there are just multiple dudes showing up that you know they're they're hot guys we got hot guys that just roll up and and gipple is the first one we run into here uh (laughs) i like this dynamic very much it's fun they have fun with it there's a Mm -hmm. scene in a place we're going to go to later where they have a lot of fun with it uh and i'm i'm a fan Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think it's a great setting it's a great thing for them to have fun with in this game and again talk about final fantasy and now that i've played final fantasy 14 i can tell you that final fantasy 10 is not the only game that has romance or the idea of love in it whereas the rest mm. of the final fantasies are very not that but tend to i do like that there is an element of oh you know there's guys you know oh boys and stuff like that i mm. think it's a fun dynamic for the group at times that they play up especially like i cannot wait till we get to bevel bevel yeah. was <laughs> a great section yeah. um but yeah gipple is here and we've got to try and get a letter from him so we can go dig in the beaconel desert so we literally have to stand in line mm-hmm. and wait in real to, time yeah which is which is fun. It's real mm. interesting in a way that I, I think we had not seen before in other stuff and, and made this really interesting. Um, and then once we head inside, uh, Gibble's like, oh, you want an interview? The high summoner wants an interview. And, you know, Yuna's like former summoner. Mm. <laughs> but uh, We go to the bridge that leads into Jose Temple and he just gets all kinds of weird is like never been this close to a celebrity before and is like all buddy buddy with Riku because like he has like three distinct reactions to all three of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then freaks the hell out when he sees pain, like just loses his mm-hmm. shit. Um, 
And Gipple's like, okay, sure. If you want to go play in the sand, go play in the sand. You can do whatever you want. Uh, so introduces him as a character, but also, yeah, the three dynamics between the three girls was very, very intriguing, mm-hmm. very interesting. I'm already like, I want to learn more about this guy yeah. in particular. Put a pin in that. <laughs> as we will multiple times throughout the show. Yeah, Put a pin in that. going to constantly do in the show. Uh, let's head over to the Moonflow, which actually this one I just ran over because I was already like right there at the mm-hmm. intersection. So I just ran over to the Moonflow. Um, and yeah, we meet. Uh, so I didn't even, because I went there from Jose, um, I didn't get the whole thing with, being asked for a favor and all that because so i'm guessing you went there from the airship mm-hmm. so i ran into the high pillow assistant oh, okay. on the way in and he asked me for help oh interesting. and then totally okay. and then totally was like oh it's so nice that strangers were just willing to help out a person on the road and all oh, okay that. well that that, um, that that's funny because like the the dynamic of well okay so like i'll i'll say what the scene was for me when I started in. Cause yeah. Because yeah. you come in and Yuna's like monologue first. And I, I assume you probably got the monologue as well or like the inner, yeah. the narration, whatever. Uh, she kind of talks about how like people are now that they're not worried about sin kind of just broadly want to be in spirit, like go see places they never thought right. they could before. And yeah. so like people are just kind of like noticing like the beauty of the stuff around us. And, um, and that's, that's kind of like a broadly like a, a theme is like people wanting to learn more about spirit, which is why certain conflicts come up that we'll get to. Um, but we do meet, or I, I met Tobley, and he was setting up for some show of some kind. He, but uh, as we're like walking, <laughs> like starting to walk away, he stops. He stops us to try and ask us a favor, and then it gets it gets very like you know, slapstick, and it's like, oh no, we gotta go, we gotta go. And but then Yuna, being the sweet soul that she is, it's just like, well, let's just hear him out. Let's just see what he wants. And while Payne and Riku are like trying to like fucking book it out of there, and so then he tells us about the assistant, and so I have to go to the other side. And I think at that point I did switch over to. Like, I got back in the ship and then just switched over to Jose and was able to more quickly get there. Yeah. It's cool, like, seeing that they recognize that a little bit and have sort of different approaches to this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I think it's an interesting game in that respect because I I know that this mission, depending on certain things, can change a reward we'll get later. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm interested to see how that pans out. Uh but yeah even just little dialogue changes and stuff are really interesting uh so we we do this mini game where this this guy is basically transporting suitcases from mm-hmm. one end of the moon flow to the other but bandits keep showing up to try and rob him and so we have to run up to them and literally like hit x to engage them in battle like we're mm-hmm. going to talk to them uh which was something that i took like a half second to figure out i was like why am i not just going into battle um mm-hmm. But it's a pretty straightforward mini game. It's pretty easy, and yeah. the bandits also are super low level to me at this point. Like I was about a, like level twelve or so by the time I was doing this, and so I was just blasting through them. Uh, and we get rewarded with the gun mage dress fear, which is the first new dress fear that we have gotten in terms of this. Although I think by this point you you already had white mage. I want to say, yeah. Um, Whereas I was using Riku has been using the dress sphere that gives you cure as as a skill just like natively. Oh, the the grammar um, grid. 
Yeah, 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 the Garmin Grin. Yeah, okay. uh, using the one that gives you Cure, and then as you rotate around it, you can get Cura and Curaga as mm-hmm. well. Um, I like that one a lot for Riku. Uh, Gun Mage is one that I need to spend some time with, and I think I'm also mm-hmm. going to put it on Pain because I think that makes sense for something that we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of the setup that I want to have for Pain in general, I think it just clicks with the Garment Grid I have in mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's basically like the Blue Mage equivalent. Like it's Kamari without like gating all of the abilities that he learns through Overdrive. Um, so that's always been just like the preferable version of that kind of character to me and like i said earlier like it was something i assigned to pain in a weird like way of like me trying to like i guess limit myself and make like make the game harder um so it doesn't i don't have a whole ton of use for it at the moment but i keep it on her as like a nostalgic thing and switch to her if i need to scan like a, a fight like a fight with the boss is taking too long and i need mm-hmm. to see how much longer i've actually got to go because i don't um i think there might be a garment grid that does it, but i think that's the only way that you can scan uh enemies in this game yeah, I, uh, I'm i interested to see it. I think Blue Mage is always a cool concept, but a really difficult thing to actually implement well in mm-hmm. a game. And so I'm interested to see how much I actually end up using it versus the Warrior. Uh, but it is a cool concept, at the least. And mm-hmm. there are a few like really good abilities that you can get early on, thanks to the, the Gun Mage sphere. So... We'll, we'll check that out. But now we're going to head into Guado Salam, which doesn't have any Guado in it. Mm. <laughs> no Guado here. Uh, all we really get here is just the intro cutscene where they say, hey, there's a lot of people living here now, and none of them are Guado. Uh, yeah. So we don't really know what's up with that. Uh, put a pin in that for literally a couple sections from now. And then... Uh, we can also run up to the far plane where Yuna has kind of an internal dialogue about thinking about going. She keeps thinking she might want to go in there and just see if Titus is in there, mm-hmm. but she never has. And she doesn't think she ever will. And I think that's a nice little aside, a good yeah. like recognition of a thing that exists in this world. And also like how someone is coping with it in the time right. sense, because we had some of that in Final Fantasy 10 as well. Like characters, either staying away from the far plane like Riku because she's like, it's, it's not real. That mm-hmm. stuff doesn't work that way. Or they're like Waka and Lulu who go in there and, and like really depend on it right. and, and spend a lot of time in there. And it's, it's interesting to see Yuna finally really grappling with what that stuff means. Mm-hmm. And it means that like the game is, it's not about grief in the same way that like the last of part two was where that was like the through line of the game. But mm-hmm. like, here it's kind of like Yuna's still holding out hope at this point, so like grief is not the thing. And like by saying like she doesn't want to go to the far plane for that reason, like I think that's just kind of a tacit acknowledgement of her not having lost hope to, to some degree. Like that she doesn't want to go there and like right. feel like she everything that she's doing is for naught. And I think she wants to find that some other way before she goes in there and essentially gets it confirmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that. That's a good note to like have for her mm-hmm. in terms of where she's at with, you know, whether Tita's is still alive. Cause at the end of the day, like we're doing a lot of stuff here. That's a lot of either menial jobs or just doing tasks for other people, helping the folks of Spira out. But the whole time there's that lingering part of, we want to know if Tita's is still mm-hmm. alive or not. So uh, we can then head into the thunder planes where, Hey, the, the Albed, 
put a bunch of towers up and there's like no more lightning strikes ever again. Awesome. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Riku overcame her fear of the lightning by camping out in the Thunder Plains for a full week. <laughs> you know, do what you got to do. I, I respect that. That's mm-hmm. fun. Uh, nothing else really here aside yep. from that. Just kind of an area that we, we stop by just to get that little scene. But we do have a lot of stuff in Makalania Woods where first we learn that the temple and the faith disappearing has kind of started to create problems with both the lake and the forest and they're kind of disappearing from the world uh we can meet up with the three different musicians here in different areas around makalania woods and they all kind of have these cryptic things to say about what's happening to Mm -hmm. makalania um uh let's uh before we get to owaka let's talk about tramel okay uh, cause I did Tremel before I did Owaka. Mm. Um, we can head to the place where the, the giant sphere monster was in, in 10 and a bunch of Guado. And there are a lot of Guado living in Makalania right now, but Tremel is also in that area, that little spring. Uh, and we can talk to Tremel and at first, you know, he apologizes for, for what happened mm. and, and kind of like, tells us what has been happening and he's very doom and gloom you know he no. tells us that you know we followed the the guado are to blame because we just blindly followed seymour you know mm. even when he was doing things that we should have known were wrong and he he says you know after the literal like almost genocide of the ronso at the hands of seymour those who uh those who were still alive at the end from the, on the Ronso side, obviously wanted revenge. And so they came down from Gagazette and attacked Guado Salam and, uh, and, and the Guado. And they said, you know, they were not able to hold out very long. And obviously the Guado were in trouble with everybody because Seymour was a major part Mm. of everything that had been going wrong. And the Guado had not only, it's not like they were unknowingly complicit. Like they were complicit in a lot of this stuff, at least Tremel and a lot of Seymour's forces were. And so they've basically all just been living in Makalania and, uh, are just accepting their fate and, and that, you know, the world has put them here and you can see that Yuna kind of feels bad about this. You know, Mm. she's, you know, it, I think for Yuna, she sees like another cycle of bad happening in the world, uh, and and doesn't like that 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 that's happening. Um, and Tramel has a line that just really killed me. That was like, "I cannot ask that you forgive us, only that you forget us." Yeah. And that was like, oh, that it's it, yeah, it hits. Like I said, there's like serious stuff and the campiness. Like it goes in yeah. both directions really hard. I think it's like one of the like I mean it already at like this point is one of the darkest turns that this game takes when it is mm-hmm. broadly like pretty hopeful game. Like everyone's trying to like as clumsily as they are doing, like they are trying to like make their way in this world in a way that is going to be more productive than what was before. But here you've got like this entire group of people who've kind of resigned themselves to not being a part of whatever the future is because they don't feel like they deserve to be part of it. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's very, it's like, a, it's, it's kind of like a whiplash moment in the first mm-hmm. chapter. Cause like everything is kind of 
shiny and happy for a lot of the places that we go to. And I think, like, you know, the one-two punch of Guadalajara and then coming here, like, is where you kind of have to sit with, like, the calm was, is not, has not been as kind to some people as it has to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and there's another, I think there are, like, two main groups that have really seen a, a huge change to the way that they live. Uh, due to the events of Final Fantasy X and, and Guado are like the first one. Well, I, three. I'll say three because the Guado and the Ronso are two major ones that, and, and we address them pretty early on. Uh, and it's it's hard. It's it's tough. It, mm. You know, this stuff happened in ten, and I like that the game also like tries to really grapple with what that meant and, and what it meant for both sides of of that conflict as well. So. Mm. Um. Anyways, we also run into Owaka, who is at the former travel agency, or rather was at the former... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right Ken, with your passive-aggressive highlighting of <laughs> Google Docs. Uh, Tramel, when we tell him we're sphere hunters, uh, gives us Payne's special dress sphere, full, full throttle, uh, and a garment grid that is basically meant to activate right. that dress sphere. Uh you can expand a little bit on this because I have not actually yet messed around with oh, okay. this. So all three of the girls have these really like powerful dress spheres. They're, they're special dress spheres, it's called. That um, They are mechanically, like what you do to activate them is you have to go through an entire garment grid. And what it does is it basically replaces the party with one character. And like they have, Pains is like this kind of mech that she uses. And like mm-hmm. the, the party becomes her and the two arms of the mech. And they have different abilities and stuff. And... Generally, my experience has been they're cool to use, like they're novel and like the way that you know, like an Aeon was in ten, like just have this like really powerful thing that you're using for some of the fight. But they are unless you use the unerring path garment grid, which is it has two nodes. You just you change dress spheres once, and then you can change it one more time, and then you will be in the, the special dress sphere. They are just like kind of difficult to use and get into it naturally, I think, and. You know, so, like, you have to go in expecting, like, like if you're using the unerring path, that is generally what the garment grid you're going to use if you're going to use them. And you kind of have to fit a playstyle around that. And it's just not, that just never seems fun to me, personally, just to, like, you know, put one character on that garment grid exclusively. Um, so it's kind of, and I, I guess there are, you know, the higher level fights at the end of the game that you might want to, you know, whip one of those out, but... Broadly, like I just, they're like a, a cool novel thing that you can do every now and then, and but I just haven't really ever gotten a ton of use out of them in the time that I played this game. Yeah, I'm interested to see as I play the game whether this stuff becomes something that I could really rely on, or whether it becomes just kind of like a a trump card, you know, a mm. an ace in the hole for when I really need some sort of extra firepower in a fight or, you know, I just happen to have it available uh, because I'm not sure it's something that I'd want to rely on mm-hmm. as, as a go-to, you know? So I'm interested to see how that stuff turns out. Uh, but the unerring path stuff really just does highlight as well the thought that they were putting into building these systems and it's practically saying to you, hey, you could do this. And, you know, that plus stuff like the, uh, I think it's called the Healing Winds uh, garment grid mm-hmm. that I use for, for Riku that you pass through different gates to kind of activate the next level of 
stuff that you want there's a lot of encouragement of thinking about progression of classes and this idea of changing dress spheres not just to use different abilities but also to enable more abilities to do more things mm. uh to become more powerful as the fight goes on which is cool i like that idea a lot yeah. um anyways now we go find Owaka, <laughs> who is running from debt collectors uh apparently he bought the travel agency out outside lake makalania mm. uh from rin and who by the way we we can run into rin uh rin rin uh at the uh lucas stadium way back when we went to luca where he tells us about sphere break and i tried comprehending sphere break and it hurt my brain too much so i left oh and did, and well, did not comprehend sphere break <laughs> there, there's gonna be a point where you're gonna have to learn real quick so i know i know i will learn for the the time when it is necessary but they really just throw you in the deep end with that one and i was mm. like cool bye <laughs> so glad you came up with the world's most unnecessarily complicated game Rin. like thanks for that i guess <laughs> Couldn't just make Fort Condor, huh? God, mm. God bless Fort Condor. Put Sphere Break in Final Fantasy XIV. Put Blitzball in Final Fantasy XIV. Put the superior minigame in Final Fantasy XIV. They, they already have a Tetra Battle or whatever from Final Fantasy VIII in Final Fantasy XIV. Like, they've got the, the weird, crazy, in-depth, physical board game thing to do already i don't want to do that again i'd rather play blitzball or i don't know just play poker <laughs> just put do what yoko taro did with freaking voice of cards and just put rummy in your game <laughs> like you don't gotta reinvent the wheel um put uno in that's <laughs> play final fantasy uno <laughs> uh anyways awaka after we chase him through most of makalania uh is like hey yeah no i'm super in debt uh that was a crazy bad business decision the the lake pretty much disappeared i'm deep in the hole can i hide out on your ship from these debt collectors and you can also obviously say yes because this you know gets you a pretty good vendor on your ship but also you can pay off his debt over time and then he'll give you a discount. And I think over time that discount ends up like saving you tons of mm -hmm. money if you're buying items. So a worthwhile thing to keep in mind. Uh, yeah, there we go. Owaka back on the ship. I, I like that Owaka's back, you know, mm -hmm. he kind of disappears at a certain point in 10 and yep. it's nice to see him again. Nice. Uh, Let's head off to the Bikinel Desert where uh, we get heat exhaustion because Riku doesn't know where things are. <laughs> <laughs> Which, in um, our defense. Yeah. To be fair, things have moved. Uh, and I do like that when we get there, there's the little bit of, of backstory that because home has been destroyed, the Albed are kind of living everywhere in Spira. And obviously with Machina being accepted, you know, you can, it, it's nice to see Albed characters just kind of hanging out in a lot of towns that they weren't in right. originally working on Machina, helping other people out. And it's, it's just a nice, you know, little change of pace for yeah. a group that was, you know, 
on on the down and out in Final right. Fantasy X. Some of the Albed are even just hanging out here in Beacon L too. They're looking for uh, all the Machina that was buried here after the destruction of Home, which is cool and leads into one of our mini games that we're going to engage with at least a little bit. Uh, before we do that, we wander off into the desert and get lost for a while uh, until we get rescued by a group of Albed. Uh, and there's a sandstorm coming in, so they, they found us and picked us up and took us to the dig site. Uh, normally here, you would get told that you now need a letter of introduction and you need to go talk to Gipple, but because we're super smart players <laughs> who think ahead <laughs> and solve problems instead of create them, we've already got the letter. We give it to a woman called Nadala, uh, and she says, go ahead and excavate then. You got it. So... We do kind of a pretty basic mini game that is we get an area that gets scanned and there is a designated spot that we have to get to within the time limit and then just hit X to dig it out and then run back uh, to get on the the hover skiff to get back in time. But there are also extra items that we can get if we decide to search around and get some of them here. Uh, I believe there's some Albed primers that we can get from here and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So there is reason to engage with it however from what i know digging too much here in the desert can also cause problems somewhere down the line so uh i'm trying to engage with it just as often as i have to and not really trying to do extra with it so um yeah are you, are you planning on spending much time here or uh, is it just not whenever nothing yeah nothing more than i have to cool cool <laughs> we're just showing up so we don't get fined <laughs> like this approach uh anyways we we do that one thing and that checks that box for us so we head off to bavel next uh which is now the base for new yevin you know old yevin died and new yevin moved right in mm. <laughs> and, uh i think new yevin is also a very interesting concept for an organization let's say uh I love that when we walk in, some dude immediately assumes that like, oh, Lady Yuna has finally seen the light and is joining New Yemen. Mm. Like, yeah, I want to join the organization that literally calls itself like New Church. Remember that old church that screwed us all over? Yeah, we're the new one of that. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all got to work on branding. Jesus. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's interesting in concept like, like they, at this point they haven't gotten into like why they are still like adopting some of the, like, the teachings of yevin and why it matters mm -hmm. but it's just like what what who do you think you are instilling good faith from here like who do you think like you were catering to and then like yeah, the, i mean the youth league is as it, as it says the the younger generation of spira yeah. and so a lot of the people that are part of new yevin are a bunch of fucking old farts that just can't let go of the shit that they've been doing their entire lives uh -huh. Um. So yeah, it's Which got is, Yevin. It's got Yevin in his name. Yeah, I part of me likes this idea a lot because it is we. You know, it's the idea that even after you've learned that something is terrible, there are people who find a lot of comfort in tradition. Mm -hmm. Find a lot of comfort in, for the same reason that, you know. 51 weeks of the year someone might not go to church but on christmas eve they go to church mm -hmm. you know there's like a familiarity to it that people can rely on and especially in times of strife in times of hardship mm -hmm. in times of trying to 
find a new center as the world has kind of shifted and changed irreversibly having something that's like hey those old guys sucked we we get that but we know that you also like some of the things that weren't just about total domineering of your life from Yevon so we are supporting that and I do think it's interesting that new Yevon started and then the youth league was a response to it so Mm -hmm. it's the idea that one is kind of a response to the other and that creates an interesting contrast between the two not just between the generational divide that's happening and the clear desire to take Spira into different directions but also the idea that uh, originally this was the first thing to try and rise out of it which makes sense you know just because the structure the head at the top of the structure fell apart doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be something that rises up in the vacuum and i really feel that's embodied in in barley 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 barry barry comes out (laughs) (laughs) uh barley uh greets us because if you recall uh, in the eternal calm there was a minor mention of the son of the leader of new yevon wanting to marry yuna uh, and some sort of arrangement happening, arrangement being proposed. Uh, Yuna, obviously coming here to Bavel, is very nervous about this. She doesn't want to get hitched to anybody. That's not, you know, <laughs> she's not down for that. Uh, but then Barilai comes out and says, the original leader has resigned as well as his son. So don't worry. He's, he's literally like, don't worry. I'm not going to try and marry you, though we would still love your support. But we understand that you know, you would obviously have some mixed feelings on working with Yevon. I like Barilai. Mm. I think he's an interesting character to put at the head of this organization because he is both reassuring and disconcerting. <laughs> I, I would say, I, I like that you have like this really like positive reading on the Yevon where I look at them like, you're just like the spirit equivalent of like a Christian conservative that is trying to cope. Oh, like, 100%. Because I just, I mean, yes, Barely seems like, you know, unassuming and polite and understanding. Folksy. But also, like, I mean, this isn't a video podcast, but I just threw two middle fingers up. Like, mm-hmm. he's got big youth bastard energy. Yeah. Um, it's, but see, that's why I think they're interested. Now, let me be clear. I'm youth league 100% of the way mm-hmm. if I'm mm-hmm. joining mm-hmm. a team. But I think. Yevin, new Yevin as an organization is interesting because of this, because I think it highlights, I mean, very real divides in terms of thinking in the real world. It's they're doing a good job of mapping, not just a facade of liberalism and conservatism to this world, but also like the core components of what that means for each organization and they're going to have to interrogate them at some point, the ways in which those things fall short and the ways, you know, the typical trappings of each one. And I'm interested to see how they do that because they kind of just have a blank slate to work with here. I mean, there are things that exist within Spira and a lot of contextual things that they can work with to make those conflicts be felt, you know, different things that they can come to a head on that will overlap very well. But I think conceptually from the outset, these two organizations are very interesting mm-hmm. to me. I like their kind of dichotomy that they've established between the two. Right. Uh, it's it's a, yeah. it's good. It's it, good it world is, building. Yeah, for sure. And I think I have feelings on the way this story is going to go and like the sort of 
framing that people on the outside have of it. And it, because, like, when it gets into that more of, well, like, real world parallels of what this can be, you know, slapped onto as, like, an allegory. Um, and that I'm not wild about, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's going to be ripe fodder for discussion, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, the Calm Lands. Not so calm anymore. There's a mm. party happening here, baby. Let's watch some dog races. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a theme park now, but also there's still fiends just hanging out, which is the wild part to me is I was running across the calm lands like, oh, cool. They've converted it into this tourist attraction. Mm. Like, I kind of like that commentary that this place that used to be a very somber area where like civilization basically didn't exist. And this is, you know, the reason being that this is where summoners would fight and die against sin. And there were scars in the land from their battles and all that. Now we're here and they're just like, yeah, let's do fun and games. There's a freaking mm. carnival here, baby. Let's go. And, uh, there's two competing like circus companies essentially mm. that you can sign up to do PR for. <laughs> yeah. And, or not PR marketing for, and it's just so wild to me. It's mm. such, uh, but I like it. It's, I, I, I do yeah. kind of wish that there wasn't fiend encounters in this area mm. because it just feel there are times in this game where I'm going, okay, I understand why one might run into fiends in this area. Like the me and high road, like that's, it's a high road and they've got machina that kind of patrol the area, but they set it up that, if you're walking along in the area, you could still probably get jumped by a monster. Mm. Right. Uh, and you know, when, uh, when you're in the Makalania woods and stuff like that makes sense that you might run into some monsters there, but the calm lands, it's like being at, you know, you're at the state fair or whatever. And then suddenly a dire wolf jumps you. Mm. <laughs> like that's, it's a weird, weird context for all this. I mean, maybe showing that, you know, Spira might be evolving, but, you know, parts of it still remain the same. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. and I it, also like that there's a side quest here about finding a dude, a wife. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just a thing. That's literally exactly what it sounds like. You just go ask random women across Spira. It's, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You want to, you want to marry this dude. And it, the best part is it's given to you by his father and he's mm. just so not into it. And, uh, this guy's like, yeah, yeah, I'm over here. And the dad's like, look at my son. He's a great son. Do you want to, like, I think they literally say something like, do you want to bear his children or something mm, like that? Fucking hell. <laughs> and, and I'm just standing there like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got to work on your, yeah. people in Spira have not heard of marketing in the proper <laughs> context. Clearly not. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, like one was the last time they had to, you know? Yeah, no, nobody had time to consider anything. these things. Yeah. Oh, man. Now that Sin's not here anymore, can we finally talk about the optics? <laughs> 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 the discourse reaches Spira. <laughs> finally. <laughs> oh, it, it's a fun little area. We're probably not going to spend much time here because it is a lot of end game mini game type mm. stuff and it's not going to really pertain to much of what we're doing in terms of seeing the narrative of this game through but you know it's there it's fun you know we might pop back in if we run into some fun things here who knows 
what is on our way next is Mount Gagazet, the last of our areas we're talking about today. Uh, the final quote unquote optional section of this mm. chapter. Uh, we get to see Kamari. Kamari is the elder of the Ronso, is kind of trying to bring the Ronso together. And he's super happy to see us. It's a nice little reunion that we get. You know, Kamari has a little thing about the like, oh, you know looks you know happy makes mm -hmm. kamari glad like i was like oh kamari you're the best uh i never used you in battle <laughs> <laughs> but, but i'm glad you found a place in this world that is for you that's very nice um and apparently some some kids have left the mountain in search of a way to find kamari's horn uh and then we have kind of an interesting part i'm i'm i want to end on this one because it's it's a little little interesting maybe a, a brief foreshadowing of future conflict um first you know we can tell uh kimari that we're gonna help him find these kids and garrick another ronso is not happy with kimari very much the uh combative person to mm -hmm. kimari's leadership uh so we can reassure kimari that we're gonna help out we're gonna find leon and aid uh and then we can talk to all the ronso that are here and there are certain responses that we have to give to get the completion percentage that we're looking for. But while some of them are very much like, you know, we'll never forget the sacrifice mm -hmm. that the Ronso made for us, you know, we'll, we'll honor them forever and all that, you know, very sympathetic responses. Others are like, yeah, fuck the Guado. Right. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> wheel that one back in. Yeah. I don't, I I'm having trouble remembering how this all ends. And it's like, not only does it feel like weirdly like inappropriate generally, just like, why the fuck would Yuna ever say that? Like, why would yeah. Yuna ever be the person to like try and stoke the fires of conflict amongst people? Cause like it generally, like when she's kind of getting gotten pulled back into things in Tentu, she's kind of been like, like the, the more assertive approach for her is to like, I don't want to be involved because the this world's problems should not be mine. Right. And here she's like, I'm going to involve myself and advocate for genocide? Like, I... Hmm? Not my Yuna. Yeah. Not my high summoner. Yeah. But it's, it's required for the fucking... I, and I don't remember why. Like, they just... Because I... I mean, spoilers, I don't think you're going to fucking end this game with the genocide of either side. So I don't remember yeah. what it serves... To have you to say those things we just know that the guide tells us we should do it and so yeah we did it uh but uh, apparently it pertains to some stuff as far as chapter five mm -hmm. so i'm interested to see how that pans out but it is just a weird note and it, it's also weird that we come here we like start this stuff and then that's it like yeah. it we very much have this thing where it's like okay two people are missing let's go find them and then it just kind of gets left on that note. We'll go find <laughs> them now. in a chapter. Yeah. Eventually, eventually yeah. we will go find them. So it, it, it feels kind of weird to run into this here. And that's kind of just the way a lot of Tintu works. It's like, it's like, again, if you're like, you're checking in on these things because like they're going to progress as the game is going on and you know, that's fine. That's, that's all good. But it does mean like you're leaving yourself on some cliffhangers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think now that we're on the other side of this, this is kind of what I'm talking about in terms of 
there were some weird parts of this section where it felt like we were just kind of leaving little dots of ideas and then just kind of leaving them hanging. And that kind of emphasized the, the nature of how I was just kind of bopping in and out of these places in a very disjointed way. Uh, I mean, the, the structure that we're using, the, the game facts guy that we're using, uh, is is very helpful in terms of how it's laid out and i found that it even like kind of goes down the list in order mm -hmm. when it can which is very helpful but uh i think that is i think going for completion percentage in this game weirdly feels like not the right way to first time experience it mm -hmm. and so like i kind of feel like first time experiencing this game you should just play it how you want to play it you chase what you want to chase and you're going to miss stuff and you're probably going to either want to replay uh, to find that or go watch the cutscenes or something. But uh, it is a game that I feel like, especially if you go in with the intent to want to play it hundred percent, it's going to feel like you're playing a checklist of sorts. Whereas I I'm curious, you know, how much of this stuff was readily apparent at the time as like the sort of free flowing, do what you want to do go from mm. place to place, explore the world uh, that it was. Cause I remember doing some side stuff, but not a lot of side stuff. Definitely not to the length that we're going to in this. So I think it's an interesting structure of a game. It's, it's really different. And I think really different from a lot of stuff we've done before too. I mean, I think, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot to unpack there, but I think broadly, like, yes, like the game can, cause like there's almost like an, a sort of a misdirection in terms of how it, shows these things to you because like it just puts these hot spots in and like naturally a person would assume that that's where they're supposed to go that's what they need to focus on and you know by nature of like doing that you will miss out as time passes on things like you'll miss out on like the progression of a storyline or without Yuna's intervention things will take different turns that are not satisfying and I think like that does play into like oh it's something that you're supposed to play more than once but I guess like for like that sort of more genuine playthrough is like a nice novelty when you're like you know 20 years younger but now that we're like one doing the show and like two adults that have like lives and shit like i don't know <laughs> that that like is as appealing to me as like oh like I've, I've seen this like kind of what if scenario how this whole thing could go down if i didn't go back and do something and so now i'm gonna go play my next playthrough and i'm gonna make sure that i say there's the whole thing and it's like i'll i don't know like why would you I don't know. Like I, I much to consider. Cause like yeah. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily like even a, a negative about the game. I think that in that way, I think that's just more of like a sign of the the times and like how games were usually expected to be consumed back then. Cause like I think we've been talked about this like when we were doing like the Jade Empire season, like that. Cause that game had like a lot of stuff that was more like mm -hmm. played into replayability yes. more so than yeah. you know yeah. modern games are. Cause like now modern games are generally like you want to like have this long completions playthrough and that is like what the like the you know the time to money value that people talk about is and not necessarily like having to replay the same content in slightly deviating ways mm -hmm. yeah it is so much more reflective of the era it was made in and i think that's what makes it fascinating too is because it also makes tend to feel like this blueprint for what's to come of final fantasy. I mean, we can see both old ideas from older final fantasies, like, 
you know, the, the job changing and things like that, but also how that then signaled future changes, like the 13 battle system, uh, like the whole setup and narrative being similar to the, the 15 story mm-hmm. that we would later see. And just a general change in tone and, and vibe and structure that, I mean, seven and eight and, and nine all had their own vibes too, but ten two is just felt very different. It felt of that time of square, like back when they could do stuff like this and it would mm. feel a little bit more, you know, it, this is the sort of game to do it with, right? When they're just going to put this other thing out. That's not necessarily a mainline final fantasy, but you know, something that's an extension, you know, for four fans ostensibly. Uh, and I, it's, it's a wild game. I'm finding it interesting. Interestingly enough, like it is, a really fun game to think about and to, to discuss and to break down and to look at the ways in which it does all this stuff. And I, I, I can't wait for it all to, to start to come together, especially as we get into more of these like full missions that are mm-hmm. longer and a little bit more narratively structured and less sort of bopping about Spira. Um, it's interesting. I can't wait to get there. We'll be getting there in our next episode but as for this episode that is the end of it as always we are normandy fm we have a patreon patreon.com slash normandy fm where you can go and support us and see all the wonderful things we do we have a discord that you can get into if you back us at any level on patreon you get into the discord where you can hang out and chat with us we've been having a lot of fun sharing memes and little stuff you know people have been playing along with final fantasy 10 and now 10 too it's been fun seeing that so if you want to get in on that you can head over there and get into the patreon discord that way at the second level you get these episodes as soon as ken is done editing them and at the highest level you get your name shout out every week on the podcast and this week that list is just mercedes cluis meredith micah mante and shane erickson thank you all so much for contributing and making everything we do here possible next episode we will be venturing into the key plot points of chapter one uh the big stuff xanarkand besaid and kilika where we're going to start to really deal with the ways in which this world has changed i'm especially looking forward to xanarkand because it has definitely one of my favorite early moments in this game mm. uh and we're even going to have a guest on uh, are we? Are we? No, are, we, are we, 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 we don't announce anymore. We don't oh, we're, confi- we're, we're confirmed. We're confirmed. We're confirmed. Well, okay, well, we're not going to announce. Yeah. It's a surprise. You'll find out who it is next time on Normandy. Yeah.